God had originally planned for Israel to build a home for him. And with the golden calf, they had essentially slammed their door in his face. It seemed that all was lost. And then, with God's forgiveness and the second set of tablets, all is restored. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 29, Tony Blair's Bible Question. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Our reflection today is inspired by an important question raised regarding the end of Exodus. And the one who raised it is not one of the outstanding exegetes of the Torah, not one of the giants of Judaism, but rather British Prime Minister Tony Blair. During his premiership, Blair would meet with Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, then chief rabbi, and they would discuss whatever bit of the Bible Blair was reading. As Rabbi Sachs recounted to me, this was something secret. Unlike in America, where political figures speak often about faith, no one discussed the prime minister's religious engagement. In fact, I believe, when asked about Blair's religion, Blair's spokesman Alistair Campbell famously replied, We don't do God. But, The Bible study, in fact, continued. A prime minister and a chief rabbi. And one day the prime minister said to Rabbi Sachs, Jonathan, I've come to the boring bit of the Bible. He replied, Which boring bit of the Bible have you reached, prime minister? He said, That stuff about the tabernacle at the end of Exodus does go on a bit, doesn't it? Indeed it does, and we must ponder how seemingly strange it is. We have already seen in chapters 25 through 30 how the Bible delineated in painstaking detail God's instruction for the creation of his house and of the garments of the priests that work therein. The Torah could then have easily added in one verse, and the Israelites built everything according to the Almighty's instructions. Instead, for six chapters at the conclusion of Exodus, we are informed again how Israel proceeded to build this extraordinary edifice, bit by bit cubit by cubit, beam by beam, vessel by vessel, garment by garment, all overseen by the Israelite artisan Bitzalel of the tribe of Judah. Israel follows all the details that we already read in the original blueprint some chapters before. Thus, the verses that we now read are so seemingly repetitious. Just a few examples. Exodus 36.8. And every wise-hearted man among them that wrought the work made the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet. Chapter 37, verse 1. And Bitzalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half was the length of it, and a cubit and a half the breadth of it, and a cubit and a half the height of it. And he overlaid it with pure gold within and without, and made a crown of gold to it round about. Chapter 38, verse 1. And he made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was the length thereof, and five cubits the breadth thereof four square, and three cubits the height thereof. And then, ladies and gentlemen, the creation of the garments of the priesthood, about which we have also already read, are detailed again. What is going on here? Mark Twain, I think, is supposed to have opened the correspondence by saying something like, I apologize for the length of this letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. But in revealed scripture, every word is intended. Every word is chosen. So why is it so long here? Biblical books are not written like the Iliad. The Bible refrains from elongated detail when it is unnecessary. So isn't Tony Blair correct? Does go on a bit. Or, as Rabbi Sachs amusingly put it to me in conversation, it's even more striking when you consider the fact that God in Genesis creates the entire universe in some 34 verses, 
while making one small synagogue in the desert takes some 600 verses in all. The reason he quipped is because synagogues are built by a committee, which takes forever. But of course, that's not really the answer. So why the apparently excessive elaboration as to the tabernacle? Rabbi Sachs originally responded to Blair in a pithy but memorable manner, saying that if the tabernacle took longer than the creation of the universe to describe, it was, he reflected, because it is easy for the Almighty to make a home for man, but it is exceedingly difficult for man to make a home for God. But later, Rabbi Sachs realized something. One of the most interesting aspects of the tabernacle tale is not only what it says, but where it appears. Not in the cultic text of Leviticus, but in the political book of Exodus, a book describing the formation of a nation. And this, he understood, hints that there is a political lesson to be learned from the tabernacle. Thus, in answering Blair's question, Rabbi Sachs noted that there are two ways of speaking about the formation of a political society. Western political thinkers like Rousseau and Locke spoke of a social contract, whereas the Bible speaks most often about berit, or covenant. Social contract describes an arrangement in which members of society ensure their own interests or rights. In a covenant, which is faith-based, the two parties come together to achieve what neither can achieve alone, a destiny. Rabbi Sachs notes that in an ideal conception of society, quote, covenants do not displace contracts. They merely address different aspects of our lives. A society that is all self-interest and no cooperation is not a society at all. But a society that is all cooperation and no self-interest is not a society. It is a sect. On a larger scale, it is a totalitarianism. Throughout history, he continues, Utopian thinkers have dreamed of a perfect world in which all individual striving is abolished, its place taken by harmony. That dream has led to some of the worst bloodshed in history. Utopias have no room for difference, and difference is what makes us human, end quote. So what we need, said Rabbi Sachs, is a society that embodies what he calls integration without assimilation, joining community and individuality, allowing us to be neighbors even as we retain our right to be unique, a society in which we are joined in common endeavor while respecting what makes us different. And it is to teach this political lesson, said Rabbi Sachs, that the tale of the tabernacle appears not in Leviticus where we might expect it, but in Exodus, the book in which Israel emerges as a covenant nation. He writes, quote, to turn a group of individuals or diverse tribes into a nation, they must build something together, end quote. As Rabbi Sachs further notes, the contributions of the Israelites are all different, some donating precious materials, others the abilities of their crafts, so that they are formed into a nation through their joint effort. Or as he puts it, quote, the tabernacle represents integration without assimilation. Because we are not the same, we each have something unique to contribute, something only we can give, end quote. Society for the Bible is, in Rabbi Sachs' phrase, the home we build together. And the tabernacle story teaches us that we need not deny our differences to covenant as one nation. This, then, is Rabbi Sachs' answer to Tony Blair's question. His answer is political and it is profound. But, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to propose another answer in addition, suggesting that the solution to Blair's conundrum was quite literally staring the prime minister in the face in the building in which he works on the other side of the corridor of the Palace of Westminster. I suggest that if Tony Blair wishes to understand the message and meaning of this biblical house of the Lord, he need only study a painting 
in the House of Lords. I've been to the House of Lords, and the chamber is the most beautiful room I've ever seen. Gilded gold, the most exquisite tapestries, royal throne of the monarch. But right next door to it is another room, also extraordinary, which is utilized by the Lords for committee meetings and also to robe the new members of the House of Lords before they enter the main chamber for their ceremonial swearing-in. The room is known as the Moses Room because it is dominated by a massive work of art created by the British painter John Rogers Herbert, depicting the story we studied yesterday, Moses descending Sinai, with the second set of the two tablets of the law. In fact, when Rabbi Sachs's predecessor, Chief Rabbi Emanuel Jacobowitz, became the first rabbi to become part of the House of Lords, the robing in his exquisite ermine cloak prior to the swearing-in took place in the Moses Room. And as he was being dressed, one of the officials said to Rabbi Jacobowitz, You know, Chief Rabbi, you are the first rabbi to be so honored in this building. And he responded by pointing to Moses and said, I'm the second rabbi to be honored in this room. But if you actually look at this beautiful painting, you will see not only Moses, but also the people of Israel who had been waiting anxiously to see if the covenant that they had broken had been reforged if the second set of tablets would be given. The most interesting part of the Moses room is not Moses. It is the exquisite relief on the faces of the Israelites who stand at the foot of Sinai to greet him. Bearing this in mind and following the approach of Nachmanides in reading the entire book of Exodus, let us study the chapters in chronological order. The revelation at Sinai occurs. Then the Mishpatim, the laws of the covenant, are communicated and accepted. Then, the plans for the tabernacle, for the Almighty's indwelling among the Israelites, are granted to Moses. But then the golden calf is made and worshipped, and the Almighty in anger refuses to place his presence among the people. This seemingly negates the plan for the tabernacle. Thus, when forgiveness is granted, the tabernacle suddenly becomes once again possible, and Moses can announce a new beginning, as he does in Exodus 35.5. And Moses spoke unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commands, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, the Lord's offering, gold and silver and brass, and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. God had originally planned for Israel to build a home for him, and with the golden calf they had essentially slammed their door in his face. It seemed that all was lost, and then With God's forgiveness and the second set of tablets, all is restored. When Exodus describes in its last six chapters every detail of the tabernacle's construction, this is not just a repetition, it is a fresh start. Every vessel crafted, every piece of clerical clothing woven is a sign that this chance of building a house of God is not to be taken for granted. Israel had come so close to losing it all, but ultimately the intimacy with the Lord is achieved. Thus, Exodus 40.33 describing what occurs upon the tabernacle's completion. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Reading these hundreds of verses that bring Exodus to a close, we might initially say with Blair, does go on a bit. But while it seems repetitive, to the Israelites it is not. In their eyes, every opportunity to engage in the construction of the tabernacle is a sacred gift. Herein lies an extraordinary lesson. What may appear quotidian to us is actually extraordinary if we realize how easily this opportunity could be lost. Tony Blair himself opens his memoir with the following story. 
He writes, quote, A friend of mine whose parents were immigrants, Jews from Europe, who came to America in search of safety, told me this story. His parents lived and worked in New York. They were not well off. His father died when he was young. His mother lived on, and in time, my friend succeeded and became wealthy. He often used to offer his mother the chance to travel outside America. She never did. When eventually she died, they went back to recover the safety box where she kept her jewelry. They found there was another box. There was no key, so they had to drill it open. They wondered what precious jewel was in it. They lifted the lid. There was wrapping and more wrapping and finally an envelope. Intrigued, they opened it. In the envelope were her U.S. citizenship papers. Nothing more. That was the jewel more precious to her than any other possession. That was what she treasured most. End quote. We today can take freedom for granted because we do not always have a real sense of how rare and fragile freedom is in the history of the world, how easily it can be undone. The same is true of so many things that we take for granted. The repetition of the tabernacle that so intrigued Blair, the repetition in the description of the making of this tiny temple, is relevant to our own lives. Our lives may seem repetitive. Our Jewish lives, certainly so. Prayer after prayer, mitzvah after mitzvah, Sabbath after Sabbath. But just as Israel bore in mind the shattering of the tablets and the tablets restored, we too can bear in mind the many shatterings in Jewish life and allow those memories to impact us. After robing in the Moses room, in the presence of the painting depicting the gratitude of Israel for the forgiveness of God that Moses had helped bring about, Rabbi Jacobowitz came into the House of Lords and spoke of his awareness of the shatterings of Jewish history and how it impacted his own understanding of the moment in which he found himself. Describing his awe, Rabbi Jacobovitz said, quote, I feel somewhat like my ancestor and namesake, the patriarch Jacob, who slept on a stone, which by legend is not unconnected with the early history of this house. He awoke in the morning and exclaimed, How full of awe is this place! This is none other than the house of the Lord. My awe is all the greater, because unlike most other noble lords who have been elevated to this upper house from the ground floor of common citizenship, I was lifted from the basement of refugeedom, indeed, from the even lower sewers of Nazi oppression and humiliation. I am ever conscious that but for the grace of God and the compassionate haven of this great country, I should today be an anonymous speck among the ashes of millions defiling the soil of Europe. End quote. The rabbi's understanding of the grace of God and of Jewish history is reflected in his profoundly Jewish feeling of gratitude. And I, in turn, am grateful to the first rabbinic member of the House of Lords and to his successor for helping me to understand why the creation of the true house of the Lord was such a glorious gift. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together next week. Signing off.